What is our position on uh, interfaith? Joining, uh, it depends on what the person intends. Number one, when they say interfaith. Um, if a person means giving da'wah, talking to the non-Muslims, giving them da'wah, calling to Islam, of course, then that's from the Sunnah of the Messenger, alayhi salatu If the person means like hanging out with them, other than giving them da'wah. So it depends on what they intend when they say interfaith. A lot of people I've noticed have different meanings of how they use it. If, it, if they're talking about giving them da'wah, that's different, that's a lot, of course. Other than that, you see a lot of programs People, it's not really a da'wah, it's more <coughs> hanging out, busting it up, that's different. Like, um, what come, what, what all in, it entails, for no. example, the, uh, the mixing and yeah. the, uh, the sing, holding hands, singing yeah, kumbaya. The kumbaya sometimes they play music, yeah. they want you to make du'a, like, um, like you have a pastor come up. A Muslim or a Jew. In that regard, although a person may say that's your country, that's da'wah. Where's the da'wah? The da'wah is going to be when you, you calling someone to Islam. Da'wah's invitation is not really doing a good deed in front of a non-Muslim. Although that's from action, but when you say inviting them to Islam, you have to actually call. Some scholars say you're not inviting no one to Islam. And until you say to them, I invite you to accept Islam. I'm calling you to accept Islam. And they use as a proof the statement of the Messenger of Allah when he used to go into the marketplaces and he would say, Ya ahl Allah. He would say, Oh people of the market, say la ilaha Allah. Like he's inviting them. Say la ilaha Allah. Become a Muslim. So some scholars say until you invite them to say la ilaha Allah, you holding hands and hanging out with them, that's not da'wah. A lot of things we do nowadays, we call it da'wah. If we go on the corner right now and start talking about Islam, we're talking about Islam, but you wouldn't call it da'wah. And two, we say, hey, miss, I invite you to accept Islam. I'm calling you to accept Islam. Now I'm giving da'wah. So just having an informational table. Yeah, that's just, it's a form of da'wah, no doubt, but it's not the initial da'wah. You're inviting someone to embrace Islam. The Prophet of Allah didn't go to the people and just talk about Islam. He embraced, he called them, accept Islam. Accept Allah. He called them to Islam. Calling someone to Islam is different than demonstrating a part of Islam to someone. We go outside and we pray, and sometimes we should do that. We go to the park and pray Isha there. Or in the daytime, we pray Dhuha there. But the people can see the Muslims praying. That's a form of da'wah. No doubt. But did we invite someone to Islam? No. We didn't say to someone, hey, we're inviting you to accept Islam. Until we say that, we're not really giving the money down. We, we, we're demonstrating a part of Islam in front of the people. But that wouldn't be called now. Two different things. A lot of the Muslims nowadays think, if we do something from Islam in front of a non-Muslim, we just call them to Islam. No, we demonstrated a part of Islam in front of the people. But, that's something different.
a lot of the kumbaya stuff is not really giving them dao. It's mixing with them, showing them a part of Islam, but you wouldn't call them dao. You wouldn't call them that inviting them to Islam. Sometimes I go to my ummi's house. If I don't say to ummi, ummi, I'm calling you to accept Islam. Why don't you accept Islam? Ummi, accept Allah as your Lord. Until I do that, I'm not calling her to Islam. I try to pray at my ummi's downstairs. Sometimes she's in the room. I pray like where she can see me praying. I tell the kids, pray in front of ummi, in front of her. So that's a form of da'wah. She turns the TV down, mashallah. Sometimes she says, hey, hey, ummi salam, usputu. She says, hey, be quiet, they praying, be quiet. Alhamdulillah. But until you say ummi, accept Islam. Consider Islam. Say this, until you do that, I didn't really invite her to Islam yet. And that's a difference. Rasulullah's form of da'wah was aslam taslam. So what does that mean exactly? So he's inviting them, accept Islam as your way of life. Most of them turned away. But the Prophet is still yad'uhum, liyadukhulu fil Islam. He's still calling them to embrace Islam, accept Islam. Until we do that, we're not giving. We're playing ball at the, at the park. And then we talking to the people about Islam. But we don't say, accept Islam. Why don't you accept Islam? Even if they say, no, 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 thank you. I'm going to do my research. Alhamdulillah. I still invite them to accept Islam. For example, until you do that, you don't really invite nobody. Demonstrating a part of Islam to someone is different than inviting them to accept Islam. We had to talk at the school, me and Imam Ayub. I said to them, and I'm calling you, I'm asking you, us as the Muslims are asking you to accept Islam. Accept Islam as your way of life. They say, no, thank you, we'll do our research. Alhamdulillah. You still call them to accept Islam. Just giving a talk about Islam is a, a, a talk, a da'wah, but it's not the initial call to embracing Islam. So the inner faith, you got to be careful with that. Because a lot of times we do that, no one's inviting no one to anything. We're just hanging out, busting it up, meeting new people. But where is the da'wah to Islam? We don't really have one. And two, we say, I'm inviting, as the Prophet used to do. The Prophet didn't just, sometimes he prayed in front of the people, yes, in the beginning of Islam, but he called them to embrace Islam. So That's what I was saying. It's not, it's not completely haram. Uh, it depends, like, it would have to be declared and described what's going on. If somebody back home, they invited me to come to a church to give da'wah. I say, what can I say, what can I not say? They say, we want to have a prayer, we're going to invite a Muslim, we're going to invite a pastor, we're going to invite a, a rabbi. And we want you all to come and make a prayer. The Christian, they don't let them say, well, they usually give conditions to the Muslims. And they say, you Muslims, don't mention Allah's name. Don't mention the Prophet, He says, so what, what can I say? They say, just mention God, the, you know, Ta'ala, the like. Commonalities. Yeah. But don't say Allah. Don't say the Prophet Muhammad, So they say, technically, you're restricting us, number one. So that shouldn't be, you got to they have to explain what are we going to do here. You give a talk, we give a talk, the Christian gives a talk, the Muslim gives a talk. Okay. No one can say that's haram. It'd be better not to do it at a church, of course. The Prophet didn't go to churches and give the people da'wah like that with them. He went to them and called them to Islam. But he didn't go and mix with them like that. You just gotta just make sure you're not uh, calling the people in a way that the Prophet didn't do it. But no one can say that's haram, inshallah. You go to someone and tell them about Islam, if that's your intent, inshallah ta'ala.
That's fine, inshallah. Yeah. And I'll make it easier for Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Walhamdulillah Salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man tamasaka bi sunnatihi bi ihsan ila yumiddin Amma ba'd After praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending the salutations upon the messenger alayhi salatu wassalam and upon his family and his companions and upon all those who follow upon his guidance into the establishment of the last day to proceed ikhwan so we continue in this blessed and noble night of ours seeking the aid and the assistance of our Lord the most merciful and the most compassionate Musafideena muta'alimeena min ilm al-fiqh, min ilm al-fiqh. So we come together tonight with the intent of learning and increasing ourselves upon knowledge from the science of al-fiqh. Fa'ayu kitabin nadurusuhu al-layla ya ikhwan. What's the name of the book that we study tonight on Sunday nights? Minhaj al-Salikin. Imam al-Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala Fa'ayna wasalna Where do we arrive to ya ikhwan? Bab al-Miyah The chapter of water The chapter regarding the various types of water Fa'kunna binisbati ila taharat al-ma'a Yandhuru al-nadhir ila thalathati ashah Thalathati ashah So we mentioned regarding how to identify the purity of water there are three things that you have to examine. Three things that you have to examine. Masi, mention one of them. You want to check to make sure the water is pure. What do you look at? The taste. The taste of the water. Huh? The smell. The smell. The color. And the color. MashaAllah. ta'ala. He says purification is of two types. One of them is purification by water, and this is the origin. And this one is the origin. And I believe we mentioned that before, yeah. So every type of water that is sent down from the heavens or sprouts forth from the earth then this water is tahor طيب ذكرنا يا اخوان ان العلماء يختلفون الى قولين بالنسبه الى اقسام الماء فما هما so we mentioned in the last class that the people of knowledge may Allah make us and you from the people of knowledge that the people of knowledge the scholars they differ into two opinions Regarding Hishmatullah, the types of waters. So what are they? Say there's two types of water. Some scholars say there are two types. And some say it's three types. And other scholars say there are three types. Ayyuhumar Rajah, which one is the strongest? Two types. Those that say that is two types. Why do we say those that say it's two types is the strongest opinion? Uh, because, um, because the third opinion uh. that's it's not water. Eh. Because the third name of the water, for those that say it's three types, what do they say? 
First type, tall hair. You sisters write this down. First type, tall hair. Second type, tahor. Third type, nejis. Tall hair, tahor, nejis. Type, what's the intent when they say tall hair? The water that is tall here on the nafsin. The pure water, water that's pure in itself. What tahor, who al ma'u tahir, what yu tahiru ghayra. When they say tahor, this is also pure water, but it can purify. It's pure water in itself, and you can make purification from it. And the third type is najis. The third type is najis. فَلَذِينَ يَقُولُونَ أَنَّ أَقْسَامَ الْمَاءَ قِسْمَانِ يُخْرِجُونَ كَلِمَةَ طَاهِرِ لِأَنَّ كَلِمَةَ طَاهِرِ لَا تَأْتِي فِي الْآيَاتِ وَلَا تَأْتِي فِي الْأَحَدِيثِ For those scholars that say Tahor, Tahir, and Najis, the word Tahir should not be there. It should be Tahor and Najis. Because in no ayat, in no hadith, does Allah know His Messenger describe water using the word Tahir. If you look at the ayat, you look at the hadith, which uses Tahor and which uses Najis. So the scholars differ there. Wallahi alam. Kisman, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, and other them, and Uthaymiyyah, and Sheikh Muqbir, and other them, and them are many. As-Sana'ani, Shukani. And those that say waters of two types, they are many. This is the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, Shukani, Sana'ani, of our time, Sheikh Uthaymiyyah, Sheikh Muqbir, Rahimahumullah. I forget what Sheikh Al-Bani says here. Anyone knows what Sheikh Al-Bani's opinion is? Three types or two types? I forget what Sheikh Al-Bani says here. Sheikh Ibn Abbas also has that opinion. So every type of water that comes down from the heavens is pure. And that water that comes from the springs or from the, the earth is pure. It purifies from being in a state of impurity and it purifies from filth. It purifies from filth. وَلَوْ تَغَيِّرَ لَوْنُهُ أَوْ طَعْمَهُ أَوْ رِيحَهُ بِشَيْءٍ طَاهِرٍ Even if, and we mentioned the ikhtilaf here, even if its color changes, or its taste changes, or the smell changes by something that's pure, by something that's pure. كَمَا قَالَ نَبِيُّ عَلَيْهِ صَلَاةُ وَسَلَامَ إِنَّ الْمَأَ طَهُورٌ لَا يُنَجِّسُهُ شَيْءٌ رَاهُ أَسُنًا he says, as the Messenger والسلام, mentions, Verily, water is tahor, and nothing makes it impure. And this hadith is collected by the Sunan, and as the Imam says, it is Sahih. It's also collected by the Imam Ahmed. The scholars here differ into two opinions regarding this hadith. Some say it's just as the Messenger of Allah says, What's The first opinion of this hadith. What did the Prophet say? Water is tahor and nothing can make it impure. Nothing. That's his literal wording. Some scholars say it's just as the Prophet said. Any water, nothing can make it impure. Nothing. And then the strongest opinion is that that's not the intent. Because there's another hadith that's going to come, Hadith Ali ibn Abi Talib, 
That if water reaches this vast level of water, this vast amount, this is the meaning. Nothing can make that amount of water impure. So the scholars differ there. He says, so if water changes, but because of something pure, then it remains upon its purity. And some scholars say that, and other scholars say no. It depends on if it changes, the color, the taste, or the smell, is still pure, correct. But you may not be able to make wudu from it. Imam Abu Hanif rahimahullah ta'ala يقول أي ماء ما أي ماء ما يجوز للشخص أن يتوضع منه Imam Abu Hanifa says as long as water is still water the, change, the color can change the taste can change the smell can change if you still call it water you can make wudu from it that's his opinion and those who agree with him. However, the strongest opinion is if it changes the color, the taste, or the smell, even if it's something that's pure, you can no longer make wudu from it. But this is correct, it's still pure. It's still pure water. Let's see who's paying attention here, Juan. I'm going to give you a small test. We got our sisters, we got our brothers, inshallah. We have a bucket of water. We're going to let everyone answer, inshallah. We have a bucket of water. And then we come and put sugar in the water. Listen to my words. Sugar in the water. Can we make wudu from that water or not? Uh, no. Answer is no. Mas, you agree? Can we make wudu from that water with sugar in it? Sugar? Yes? Ashay? Uh, no. No? Can't purify yourself. Can't purify? Sheikh Abdullah? No. Not allowed? Sheikh Ivan? Depends, uh, the Depends on the quantity. Depends on the quantity? It's going to be tahir. Huh? But it's not going to be tahul. Tahir, but not tahul. Depends on the situation there. It depends. You agree with Lubyan? Tahir? Father Ikhwan, can you make wudu from this water, Sheikh? Abu Amir? Uh, depends. It depends? No? 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 No, to our sisters? No? Tight. You brothers that said no? Wrong. You sisters that said no? Wrong. You brothers that said yes? Wrong. You brothers and sisters that said it depends is correct. Remember, Yahuan, it's not about what falls in the water. It's about It depends, as the brothers mentioned. Does this thing affect the water or not? Was the sugar stronger than the water, or was the water stronger than the sugar? If the sugar overpowers the water, and thus changes one of the three components, you can't use it. If the water is stronger than the sugar, if you have a pool of water, not a small cup, a lot of water, and then you pour some sugar in the water, usually what happens, this amount of water is overpowering the sugar, flushes the sugar out. It doesn't even... It's like the sugar is not even there. If this is the case, you still can make wudu from it. So you're always going to look at three things. Memorize this, yeah, If you memorize this, even though some scholars differ, you've got the principle. 
Three things to look at. The color of the water, the taste of the water, and the smell of the water. If it's affected, if one of these things change, even if something pure falls in the water, it's still pure water. But you can't use it to make wudu. Right. Next question. Some of you passed, some of you felt that one. عندنا الماء والماء قليل ندع في هذا الماء القليل سكرا هل يجوز لنا أن نتوضأ منه أم لا Listen to the wording Now we have a little bit of water We pour sugar in that water Can we make wudu from the water or not? It's a little bit of water If the taste, smell or color changes We can't Massey, little bit of water, sugar's inside. Can we make wudu from it or no? Little bit of water. No? Check out the law? No. No, now? Tell the Sheikh? Three components change. Hamza? No, no. Ivan? You didn't specify whether sugar was. Okay. What do you say? Yeah. Yes? Yes, Mitzalah? If it, the three components is you know, change. If the three change? No. Otherwise, yes. Okay. Bashir? Yes? Father Sheikh, can we make wudu or not? A little bit of water. Uh, it depends if it might change. It depends if it's changed or not. Good answer. No? No? It depends. It depends. Right? Sisters? It depends on the quantity or the sugar. Father? Can you make wudu? Um, maybe the sugar it's always going to be that. Use that as your principle. It doesn't matter. As Imam Shokani he says. It doesn't matter if the water is a lot of water or if it's a small amount of water. You're always going to look at the quantity. You're going to look at which one overpower what. If the sugar overpowers the water, you can't use it. If the water overpowers the sugar, you can't use it. You guys got the principle. Let's make it more harder or harder. Can you say more hard? Let's make yes. it harder. You can say that? Yeah. Let's make it more hard. I think that's more honorable. Let's make it more difficult. Let's make it harder. And then we have water. Our baby girl, close your ears, inshallah ta'ala. Somebody comes and he does a number one. In the water. Not a person. Let's make it more honorable. Ja'at hirratun. A small cat comes. What a budu fi hadil man. And this little cat, this may happen. We have a masjid cat. What's the masjid's cat name, Yaqwa? The brothers gave the cat a name. Huh? Abais? Alhamdulillah. So Abais comes. Abais. And Alhamdulillah, when it's time to pray, it looks like Abais is praying, mashallah. Muslim cat, Allahu Akbar. You come at Dhuhr Asr, I only say Madhur Asr. The cat is chilling, relaxing. It's like he's just making salah also. And then after prayer is over, he's running around playing again. A base comes and urinates in the water. Urine is haram, uh, urine is nudges. Is it allowed to make wudu from that water? It depends on the color of taste. It depends on the three principles. The cat peed in the water, number one. You know number one? He did a number one in the water. Can you make wudu from that water? No. No? Oh. Check out the law. Yeah, it's, it's the water. It's swimming. 
Hey, if the water overpowers the yarn, Alhamdulillah, our sisters, can you make wudu from that water? And it depends on the amount. It's always going to memorize this. And any example you mention, it doesn't matter. You're always going to look. Did that number one overpower the water or not? Some scholars say, if the water is small, you can't use it. But that's not the strongest opinion. You're going to look at the three components of the water. <laughs> Even if the water is a little bit of water. Some scholars say this, listen to this point here. If they stipulate, if the water remains under the name of water, if you still call this water, water. If we have water and you put a tea bag in it, and the tea bag, yarhamakallah, affects the water, what would you call that? Tea. So this principle here, if you don't call it water no more, they say that it's showing that it's been changed. If you have some Gatorade and you pour the Gatorade in the water and it changes the taste, the color, the smell, if you don't call it water, now we call it juice or soda or Gatorade, then you can't use it to purify yourself. Third question. The water that we mentioned with the sugar. Sugar is pure. If you mix the sugar with the water, does the water remain pure? Is the water still pure? Yes. Or does the sugar make it not pure? Still pure. Still pure. Sugar is not najis. So therefore the water is still pure. To determine what's najis and what's not najis, it depend, uh, the water that's najis or not najis depends on what fell into it. If something pure falls into it, it's always going to be pure, pure water. If something impure falls into it and it affects the water, this word is called negligence. Okay. I have a question. Father. So, uh, impurity on your clothes. Mm. I know we probably didn't get into it yet. Not yet. Next chapter. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, uh, can I, does it determine whether I'm wearing a cotton? For example, the pants I have, the surwal I have on, no. I can wipe it down. It doesn't penetrate negligence. Or uh, impurities. Can I just wipe it down without washing it? Can you wipe it down and if sprinkle water. wiping it alone removes it? If just wiping it would take the, the impurity off your garment, then that would be allowed. It's not really about what the material is made out of, it's about how you're cleansing it. If you're cleansing it with water or dirt, although some scholars mention a condition, some things have to be washed with water or dust, like the saliva. Other scholars say no, that's just a means of removing the impurity from your garment. As long as if you wipe it, you're going to completely remove it. If that's the case, then that will be allowed. If, if you remove it, say you use your hand or another material, you can scrape it off and it gets it all the way off with no doubt about it, then you did the obligation. Many scholars hold that point of view. No. Our beloved sister, Tfadali. What makes the urine of a baby, a baby boy pure as opposed to the, the, the urine of a baby girl? Many of the ulama say they both of their urine is pure. It's not about if it's a baby boy or baby girl. It's about the age of the child itself. If that child لم يبدأ أن يأكل من 
أصل الطعام فيجوز لك أن يرش الماء عليه أن يرش الماء عليه Many of the people of knowledge say it's not about the man, the boy's urine versus the girl's urine. The urine of the baby boy is impure, while the urine of the girl is nudges. Uh, 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 Other scholars say no. It's not about the gender. It's about the age. If the child is still breastfeeding on the woman, still suckling, then that milk, that the urine of that child is not uh, impure yet. When the child does a number one, if the child is still drinking the breast milk, then his urine is not nudges. But if the child begins to eat real food now, a boy or a girl, a boy or a girl, then that food uh, makes the urine of the child impure now. As long as the child is still drinking the, the, the breast milk of the, of the mother with no other food, then the urine of that child is impure. Uh, the urine of the child is not impure. When the child starts eating the regular food, now when that child urinates, now that urine is nudges. So this is like both boy and girl. Both boy and girl. The mean of the hadith, when the, the little boy urinate on the messenger and the prophet ordered for some water to come and sprinkled the water on that child, wasn't because it was a boy. It was because the child was still drinking the breast milk of the mother. No. Nowadays, some kids, they use a formula. Formula is different. So formula is not aslu ta'am, it's not the origin of food. However, it's like a manufacturer type of food. As long as the child is off of the breast milk, and if she's starting to eat the formula or the likes, then that urine will no longer be pure. So any the condition will be as long as the baby boy or girl is still suckling, meaning only suckling from the womb. You give the what's that infamil and the other ones like that. Now they no longer on the origin of food. So when that child urinates on you, this child eats infamil or regular food. Now I have to get this urine off my clothing before I can pray in this garment, whether it's a boy or a girl. If the baby boy or the baby girl is still suckling and they urinate on your garment, now you can just take the water and sprinkle it, for example, to get it off. That's the meaning of the hadith. Wallahualam. I'm sorry? Does it break the wudu? If the child is still drinking the, the milk of the mother, no. It's pure. If the child is eating regular food, now it doesn't, it doesn't ever break your wudu. But can you pray with that garment or not? If the child is eating regular food and the number one comes on your garment, you have to take this garment off or you have to remove that impurity from your clothes. No. Sometimes it touches your body. <clears throat> if it touches your body, now you have to get it off your garment and your body. What about if it's in your prayer place? Same thing. You have to get it off your place. Uh, of water, uh, uh, making the salah, if it's on your garment, and also if it's on your body. So the man is holding the baby, mashallah ta'ala, new baby. And the baby bala alay, urinates upon the child. Rajulan aw imra'ah, a little baby boy or a baby girl. It doesn't matter the gender. You have to look at mother, is the child drinking the breast milk only? And then it gets on your skin. So now, if he's still drinking the breast milk, there's nothing on you to remove. That is pure. It gets on the mesh's floor. 
There's nothing on you to remove because it's pure. Now the child reached the age of eating those bottled foods that the workout people realize have so many nutrients in it, baby food. So you see them before they go to the gym. We used to do that back in the day when we played basketball. You used to eat the baby food. It has a lot of nutrients in those little jars. If you read the nutrients label, you'll be amazed. The pure food. They're hunt their mother, the mashed potatoes, and those, what's those? The yams, especially the yams, and those bananas. Alhamdulillah. Many of the bodybuilders realize there's so many nutrients in these little bottles. At any rate, now the child eats from that. Now his urine becomes impure. If oh, mother, if a mother washes the baby, mm. uh, she will have to make it. Now what about if the person touches someone else's private part? A mother, a father, or your child? طيب. قال النبي عليه الصلاة والسلام في الحديث من مسح فرجه فليتوضع The Messenger of Allah says whoever touches his own private part then it's upon him to make wudu. Some scholars say it's just as the Prophet said. Whether it's obligatory or recommended. The Prophet said you touch your private part, you make wudu. Some scholars say if you have to make wudu from your own private part, how much more so when you touch someone else's? Other scholars say no, that's not what the Prophet said. It doesn't mean that's obligatory upon you. It means if this was a means of making you break your wudu, you have to make a new wudu. Some scholars, they say, it's only talking about yourself. So you wash your babies, boom, boom, and then you change the diaper. You don't have to make a new wudu because you didn't do anything. You didn't break your wudu. You didn't break your wudu. And it's not, that wasn't your private. The Prophet said, Farujahu touches his own private part. You touch the baby's private. You wash her, her boom, boom, so you cleanse her up. So you have to make a new wudu. No, you didn't break your wudu. Right? So they differ in that regard. That's like the issue of when the woman gets pregnant, can she marry the baby's father while she's pregnant? It's not a new issue, Ikhwan. The Salaf differed in this issue years ago. A man and the woman are together, may Allah forgive them both. The woman is pregnant. Can she marry the one that impregnated her? The strongest opinion is no. Not while she's pregnant. She can't marry no one while she's pregnant. Not that man, not another man. That's the statement of Imam Ahmed Rahimahullah. Imam Shafi'i has a different opinion. Imam Shafi'i says, if he is the one who impregnated her, it's allowed. Abu Hanifa says, she can marry anybody she wishes, pregnant or not. Imam Malik, uh, I forget what Imam Malik says here. Abu Imam al-Shafi has a proof. There's a hadith that's in the Sunan. The meaning of the hadith, the Messenger of Allah sallam, he says, Man rusha la yarushu rajulun hadiqata rajulun akhar. Or kama qal Nabi The Prophet said, No man should water the garden of another man. Meaning, the garden is the womb of the woman. If she's pregnant, another man can't water her garden. A Shafi says, see, the Prophet said, no man shall water the garden of another man. But if he's that man, it's allowed. So they differ on the intricate wording of the hadith. At any rate, this happens a lot in the technical meanings.
or the different verbiages. There's a hadith the Messenger والسلام, he says, La nikaha illa bi wali. Min hadith Ibn, uh, Ibn Mas'ud wa Aisha. There's no marriage for the woman who does not have a wali. Most of the scholars say this hadith is general. A Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad, Rahimahullah. Abu Hanifa says no. How he understands it, the Prophet is talking about the virgin girl. Although it's not mentioned. He says, from what I see of this hadith, the Prophet is not talking about every woman. It's the woman that's never been married before. She's never been touched by a man. She is the one that needs a wali. Although, that's not what the Prophet said. So my point is, sometimes the scholars differ. Sometimes the scholars differ. You have to look at the evidences and compare them to the best of your ability. I have a question. So, no. uh, Abu Hanifa was the earliest. Abu Hanifa Muhammad. was the earliest. Okay, why is in his fiqh the most sound? Because he's closest to the Rasul. It's not always about your like hadith. It's not 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 like hadith. Correct. Abdullah Sheikh Liban is making a point. Abu Hanifa is the earliest of the four. True. But that's not a condition. You can be earlier than someone. You can be older than someone. You can be more memorized than someone. And you can be wrong. And I don't want no one to feel because sometimes the people they say, as one of our mashaykh, he said a statement about Abu Hanifa. And the people was kind of hard on him. So the shaykh, he says, Ya khwan, hadha laysa kalami, ana, ana ta'allamtuhu min a'immatin min as-salaf. Our shaykh, Shaykh Muqbir, rahimahullah, he used to say a statement that I'm afraid to say and I want no one to misunderstand, so I'm going to try my best not to say it. He said a statement in which some people felt he was being hard against Abu Hanifa. So they would say, Shaykh, how can you say that? How can, that's Abu Hanifa, he's a great imam. He says, yes, he's the great imam, and we love him. He's the great imam of the sunnah. However, here, he's such and such and such and such. He said, this is not from me. I'm quoting some of the other great scholars of the past, like Darukutuni, like Al-Bayhaqi, like this and like that. And he said, they said A and B and C. They would say, the great imam Abu Hanifa is the imam in al-fiqh. But he's weak in hadith. He's weak in hadith. This does not diminish his status at all. He's the one of the greatest minds you're ever going to study. But a lot of times it looks like the proof that he's using was not authentic. A lot of times you look and you say, what's his proof? Where's the proof? And then you get the proof and it doesn't really go and coincide. At any rate, no one's going to say this great imam is not an imam of, uh, of the sunnah. Even Darul Qutuni. He's not nullifying he's a great imam. No. He's just saying, in the science of hadith, he's not like Ahmed. He's not like Malik. He's not like Shafi'i. He's not like Sufyan. He's not like Layth. He's not like these great other imams. He's weaker in their regard. So this is one of the reasons. It appears, Wallah that he didn't give as much consideration to hadith as he did to fiqh. Wallah That's a good question. But that's not a condition here for Last, uh, Shaykh. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was last week, mm. we were praying. I think it was Isha. There was a, uh, there was a, there was a father who had his little daughter. Yeah. She was probably three years old, and uh, 
she urinated in Sola, uh, in Sola uh, right next to it. You can hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm behind it, you know, and he's, uh, he's right in front of me. He's no. soft in front of me. And uh, I don't know if he notices or not, but, you know, she finished. She, you know, by the Salah, he mm. got up, and uh, which I, I believe he didn't get out of Salah or try to pick her up because he would have made the whole carpet even no. more impure. pure. So no. what is the, uh, the best procedure? In that regard? In that regard. And how would you, because we just dumped some water <laughs> on, onto that spot. <laughs> And then we sucked it up with with a with a okay with, with um, a vacuum. So no. we, but we we filled that with the whole spot up with water. No, that's right. The, is the, is was that, the baby girl how old was the little girl? I would say three. Okay, so she's eating food here. There's a hadith hadith Anas ibn Ahmad radiAllahu taala anhu fi al-Bukhari wa Muslim. وذكر Anas أن رجلا من ال من البادية أتى إلى 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 النبي عليه الصلاة والسلام في المسجد. وبال في زاوية المسجد وقام بعض الصحابة أرادوا أن يضربوه وبعضهم أرادوا أن يقتلوه فقال النبي عليه الصلاة والسلام دعه دعه ثم دعا بالماء ويصب الماء في موقع البول والحديث في البخاري ومسلم In the time of the Messenger of Allah there was a similar occurrence a man from the, from the desert came to the Messenger of Allah while they were in the Masjid. Something happened, I forget at this moment. So the man went to the corner of the Masjid and just urinated in the Masjid of the Messenger So you can imagine in the Masjid, some of the people wanted to harm the man. Let me at him, yes, yeah, Messenger of Allah. Let me at him. And some of them wanted to take his life for disrespecting the Masjid like that. The Prophet of Allah said, Leave the man alone. Leave him. Let him do what he's doing. Leave da'ahu. Leave him. And then when the man finished, the Prophet called for a bucket, a dalwa min al a bucket of water, and then he poured the water over the urine. Right. So this shows that the water, you use water to, to clean if there's some, some bowl or the likes, some urine or the likes from someone that's an adult or they begin to eat the food, the natural food. If the young girl in the salah, uh, she urinated there and some of the traces got on the floor and y'all poured the water there and vacuumed it up, mashallah, as long as you make sure that there's no traces of the urine there, then you did exactly what the Messenger of Allah did and that hadith. Although that was a man and this one was a child. The point is, you use the water to get the urine up Maybe you may scrape it or, for example, just make sure there's no traces of the urine there. If you did that, you did exactly what the Prophet of Allah did. That's what I would say. That's why sometimes it is a sunnah to hold the children. But you still have to make sure you're observing the sunnah. Meaning, if the child has a diaper on and the child is eating food. Then, and the diaper is filled with urine, for example. Then now... This, you're holding the child that has urine in her diaper. So, most likely the diaper of urine is going to spill on your garment. You put the child down in the place of prayer, most likely the urine comes in the place of prayer of the child. Sometimes we let our children pray, Juan, and there are many things that we have to learn also. Many things. For example, sometimes the children, we pray with our beloved children, and the child is not making the salah. He's starting out, he's beginning, but he doesn't know how to pray correctly. 
If that's the case, then the little baby child should not be between two men. Because the row is broken. If the child is not observing the salah correctly, and this child is in the middle of two men, two brothers or sisters, it could be with the baby girls, then the child should not be in the middle. Which doesn't mean you shouldn't let this child pray. No, encourage the child to pray. But you should put that child at the end. So now the row is not broken. If the little baby child is in the salah and he doesn't pray, he's not praying. We're just encouraging him to pray. So here, he should not break the, the row here. We should put this child on the end. You say, you move over, let me pray with my son on the end of the row. And sometimes the brothers, the little child, children, they pray and they don't have wudu. If the child doesn't know how to make wudu and the abbey is not making the wudu with the child, then this also can break the row. So if you know the child, he's not in the wudu, I'm encouraging him to pray. No problem. Then he should be on the end. He's not in wudu, or he doesn't know how to make the salah, then he should not break the row of two men. He should keep the... You always want to make sure the row is salah, connected. Um, if you're going to put the boys there that don't know how to pray, or are not in wudu, and you know he's not in wudu, for example, if you know that, then still encourage him to make the salah, but let's put him on the end. If the child knows how to pray and the child is in wudu, then he can pray wherever he's at. Because this child completes the role, he doesn't break the role. He's in wudu and he knows how to make the salah. That's different. This brother that comes, he doesn't come very often, but when no. he does come, he brings his daughter with him. No. She's about 10, 11, no. or 12. Allah alam if she caught her menses or not. Mm. But she, she's always praying with him. No. With the brothers, a uh, little bit nah. So, uh, how would you? Uh, that would be a hard one, Ikhwan. A lot of things we haven't learned yet. We have to get to in those chapters. If I have my baby girl with us, and this is hard sometimes when the single brothers, or I don't know the sisters in the back, so I maybe don't feel comfortable letting my little baby girl be with the girls in the back. So I keep my child up front with us. It depends on how old she is. Sometimes we forget. Although the child is a child. You still want to teach her the men are with the men and the women are with the women, for example. So now she stays up with the brothers and then it's time to pray. So where do I put her? How does she pray with the men? If I have to have my daughter with me, say I don't have my wife here or I don't have my women here to watch the baby girl and I don't know those sisters over there, so I don't feel comfortable enough to send my daughter. I don't say, hey, uh, see her. Or Nirma or Sundus. No say but take take Naima inshallah ta'ala. That's different. You don't know them. So no one's gonna feel comfortable, okay? You gotta go with it by yourself. She's ten. Nobody's gonna feel comfortable. So she stays with the men. Okay, how does she where does she pray at? Here it may be more honorable not to let her pray. Why do we say that? Number one, the salah's not on her. Number two, when she's bending over, she's bending over in front of the men. So we still have to be more mindful of the likes of Daniel Khwa. At any rate, if you can't hide her right in front of you as a man, if I can't put my 10-year-old right in front of me and pray, for example, but then I still have a man beside me and a man beside me too. So my daughter bends over, although she's still little, we still want to preserve the innocence and the honor, for example. And these are things that sometimes we're not mindful of. 
So how would you pray? I may say, okay, you're going to sit here, inshallah, watch Abby pray. May Allah bless you. When we get home, we'll pray together. Because where is she going to stand? For them. Unless she's going there with the sisters or, or the likes. But with the brothers, it may not be honorable yet. No one's going to be pleased to have his daughter bending over, squatting down, getting back up in front of all men. Nobody's going to be pleased with that. Nobody. So it may be more honorable that she sits down for them. That's the best I could say there, Allah. Whether or not she reached the age of. Now, if she reached the age of maturity, as one that's different, then I would probably say maybe we can have some sisters designated to watch the, the little girls, mashallah. If that father feels comfortable enough to send them, send his daughter with the women, then he should do that. If she's reached that age, then she shouldn't pray with the men. If she's no longer a little girl, but she's a woman, then alhamdulillah, our masjid has a place for the women. Um, that would be more honorable, better, inshallah ta'ala, to send her and you contact the sisters. You know, okay, can somebody keep an eye on my daughter, for example? That will be more honorable. This also shows that we have to know one another, Juan, for example. I was pleased when my daughter was here, and she got along. My daughter doesn't get along with a lot of people, mashallah. And she loved the sisters that were here. And they checked on her, and they talked with her, and they made her feel real comfortable. And that pleases you, Juan. You know, they treated her like, she said, I felt at home, mashallah with the, the mission there. And she still talks about, I can't wait to get back. How, and she asked me, some sister, I don't forget her name, that she met at the Fajr time. And she said she just made Umrah uh, with her father. And I have to get her name. She said, oh, do, do you see my companion? She's come to your classes, she's still there. How is she, give her my salams, mashallah. At any rate, that's the best I would say there, Juan, Wallah. It is hard for the father, if you don't know the women there. How can I send my, my daughter there? I don't know Sundus, I don't know Suda, I don't know Zainab, I don't know this one. So how can I just hope that she's been taken care of? It's different when you know them. I know she's gonna watch her. If she gets out of line, she's gonna, you know. But, and that first example, that may be the most honorable thing to do, Allah Adam. So then she's not praying with the men, for example. Allah Adam. That's what I would say there, Allah Adam. Ta'i, let's continue, Ikhwan. قَالَ سَعْدِي So as Sa'di continues قَالَ فَإِن تَغَيَّرَ أَحَدُ أَوْصَافِهِ بِنَجَاسَةٍ فَهُوَ نَاجَسٌ يَجْوِ اجْتِنَابُهُ وَالْأَصْلُ فِي الْأَشْيَاءَ الطَّهَارَةُ وَالْإِبَاحَةُ So as Sa'di he says As Sa'di he says If the water changes one of the three components What are they again? Smell, taste, color If one of these three changes by something that's nudges, impure, then the water becomes impure. And it's obligatory to stay away from that type of water. And then he, learned, he mentions a principle that we learned last time. The origin regarding things is that they are pure and that they are allowed. That's the origin. They are pure and they are allowed. قَالَ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ فَإِذَا شَكَّ الْمُسْلِمُ فِي نَجَازَةِ الْمَاءِ أَوْ ثَوْبٍ أَوْ بُقَعَةٍ أَوْ غَيْرِهَا فَهُوْ طَاهِرٍ Mention, pay attention here, ya ikhwan. I want you to write down this principle here. As-Sa'di, and some people forget, is a scholar of al-fiqh. 
in a scholar of tafsir, in a scholar of the Arabic language, the only science I've never heard the scholar say he's a specialist in is what science? Who knows? He's a scholar, he's a specialist of every science. Except, except, huh? He's a scholar, a specialist of, of tafsir. A specialist of Arabic, a specialist of Arabic, a specialist of al-fiqh, a specialist of except for hadith. Some scholars say, even our great Asadi, that he's not the same way as he is in tafsir. He's not the same like he is in al-fiqh when it comes to hadith. Not every scholar is a hadith scholar, yaqwa. I'll give you a great scholar who just passed away and it started me that many of us in the West never heard of him. The big sheikh from Africa. And some people say, I'm, I'm biased. Eh? The big, one of the greatest scholars you're ever gonna read about, yeah. And some people say, oh, you're biased. You were in Africa, you were in Yemen, so of course you like the African scholars more. I don't know where they get that from, yeah, Juan. I love all the scholars, alhamdulillah. But some people do say that. Back home, they say I'm biased, that I don't mention the scholars in Saudi a lot. And I don't mention this one and this one. I try to mention all the scholars in every country. That's my Islam. At any rate, this scholar is from Africa. His name is Muhammad ibn Ali ibn, ibn Adam in Ethiopia. And this scholar is amazing. He's the one that you look him up right now. He explained almost every hadith book out. You look him up right now. He has an explanation of Bukhari. Explanation of Muslim, explanation of Tirmidhi, explanation of Nasai, explanation of Ibn Majah. In one life, not just an, an audio. There's another big shaykh similar to him, an audio, who's still alive with us, Shaykh Abdul Mursin Al Abbad, Hafidullah Ta'ala. The young shaykh, Shaykh Abdul Razak, that's his father. Shaykh Abdul Razak is probably the most popular scholar alive right now. He goes to every country. Everyone knows Shaykh Abdul Razak. He's like Sheikh Salim in Kuwait. Everybody knows Sheikh Abdul Razak. The Americans know him, Sardia, the Africans, Kuwait. He goes every country. Everybody knows him. His father is the big Sheikh in Hadith. He explained almost every book of Hadith out in audio. In audio. He explained Bukhari, Muslim, Nasa'i, Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, Ibn Ahmad in one life. From beginning to end. Amazing, Yaqwan. That's from Allah. The other shaykh from Africa did something even greater. What did he do? He wrote explanations. It's harder to write. If we come right now and I say, yeah, Juan, everybody get their laptops out, whatever I say, I want you to compile it. I'm not writing anything. I'm just saying it. And then you compile it. That's easy. But he comes and writes the books. That's more difficult. In one life, and this is for the people who say I'm biased, you do your own research and see if I'm biased or not. This man, his Bukhari is 20-something volumes in one life. His Muslim, and I want you to go back and, and check it. His Muslim is 45 volumes in one life. His Nasa'i is over 25 volumes that he wrote. Allahu Akbar. One life from Africa. Little old man. And he speaks so fast. And this is another reason I love this Shaykh, because people say I speak fast. So I say what he says. One time they say, Ya Shaykh, Mada Takulli man yakul anka, li anaka tatakalla musriya'an. 
فقال الشيخ أنا لا أتكلم سريعا هم يسمعون سريعا هم يسمعون بطيئا أو كما قال رحمه الله so the sheikh he says the student said يا شيخ what do you say about those students that say you speak so fast and one day we're going to bring his audio you'll be amazed how fast he speaks you'll be amazed they said sheikh what do you say to those who say the sheikh talks so fast he says I would say to them, I don't speak fast, they listen slow. <laughs> he says, I don't speak fast, they just listen to me slow. At any rate, that's his natural way to speak. He speaks so fast. Some scholars say about him, when he talks, it's like the rain falling down. Some scholars said about him, his memory was, was so imper uh, impeccable, superb. If he's reading a book, uh, if you're reading a book, and he's reciting from his memory, and you choose the book, you're gonna make a mistake while reading the book before he makes a mistake from his memory. It's from Allah, his, his memory is from Allah Ta'ala. We had a shaykh like him in Yemen, Shaykh Abdul Raqib al-Ulabi, Hafidahullah, memorized almost every hadith book out. This shaykh was on a whole nother level. Memorized Bukhari, memorized Muslim, and he can recite it. Not like we memorize today, and then I can't really recite what I memorized. Not like that. No, he was holding. He, Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nasai, Abu Da'ud, Ibn Majah. And he's a scholar of Arabic. From Africa, memorize his name, Yaikhwan, Muhammad Ibn Ali, Ibn Adam. Rahimahullahu Ta'ala. One of the best minds you're ever going to see, Yaikhwan. One of the best minds you're ever going to read about. So it's sad to me, Yaikhwan, when many of us in the West, we have a... We are, we get the, the, the worst of the, of the power. A lot of times we don't know who the scholars are. We don't really do no research. We don't really, in America, we don't really know who the people of knowledge really are, Yaikhwan. At any rate, this man from Africa is a great example, Yaikhwan. In one life, for example, Sheikh Mupa said about his book, his explanation of an Asai. If you cover the name, you would think you're reading one of the books of the Salaf. He said, you wouldn't think somebody of today, of my time, wrote like this? He said, you wouldn't think that. He gives you the hadith, and he tells you, the narrator, how many hadith this narrator narrates in this book. He tells you where the hadith is in every book out. Nobody explains like that, Yaqon. He's amazing, right? Allah Ta'ala. Talia, how much time we got? Let's get one more benefit, inshallah Ta'ala. He says, so if the Muslim has doubt, Memorize this, Yaqwan. Is the thing najis in the water or in his garment or in his prayer place? If he's doubtful. Other than that, then the thing is pure. If you have some water and you're doubtful, is it pure or is it najis? Then the water is pure. If you're doubtful, I don't know if this on me, is it urine or is it Kool-Aid? I don't know. I'm doubtful. Then it's pure. If the mesh is floor, I don't know what this is. Is it water? Is it oil? Is it urine? I'm doubtful. Then it's pure. Because doubt doesn't remove the thing. Doubt doesn't take away certainty. The only thing that removes certainty is certainty. If you made wudu at Maghrib, and then after Maghrib, you don't know, did I break my wudu? I don't know, I'm doubtful. Did I just pass gas? Allah, I don't know. I'm doubtful. 
Being doubtful doesn't take the state away. You go by what you're certain of. Do you remember making a wudu? Yes. I made wudu before we made salam. I, I remember. I, I'm certain to wudu. I made wudu. طيب. Then being doubtful if you broke it doesn't take you outside of being in the state of tahara. The only thing that can remove certainty is certainty. You have to be certain that you broke your wudu. Sometimes you're in the salah, don't laugh. Sometimes you're in the salah, and you hear something. You're making the salah. It happens to all of us. Last week, somebody did that. We're praying. It's like, and you're looking, everybody's looking around. Hey, who's that, Yaqi? <laughs> and nobody, nobody got up. Somebody did something. <laughs> so the brother sitting there, he's doubtful. Did that come from my stomach? Or did that come from my boom boom? If he's doubtful, he didn't break his wudu. If he's doubtful, he didn't break his wudu. Sometimes you have to take a moment. Do I smell anything? No, I'm okay. Was that my stomach? Did I belch? Was that my boom boom? Sometimes you have to examine it. The same way you examine the water, sometimes you have to examine yourself. Somebody broke the wudu that night. <laughs> Everybody stopped. Who is making the salah? Somebody said, tch, tch. Everybody's looking around. <laughs> if, if, he's, if he's doubtful, if he's doubtful, he might have not broken his wudu, but uh. he broke his brother's salah. <laughs> so the sound, but the thing, not every sound is hadith. Not every sound is a past gas. Sometimes your stomach can make a sound. You brothers that study science, sometimes your stomach can make a, a grumble. Someone massage you may not know. He heard something, hey, hey. He starts bumping him, hey. He may whisper to him. Nowadays, he may pull out his phone and text him while he's in the salah. Hey, you just broke your wudu, salam alaikum. <laughs> That's how ignorant we are, yeah, Juan. One of the brothers answered his phone. In the salah, his phone goes off. Yarin, yarin. <laughs> this is a true story, yeah, Juan. His, he's in the salah, you suddenly. His phone goes off. Ring. Rain, rain. Hello? Hey, I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm in the salah. I'm going to call you back, inshallah. Assalamualaikum. <laughs> That's how we are, Yaqwa. No, I can't answer your phone, Yaqwa. Tayyip, now he just broke his salah. Our sister had a hand up. Father, may Allah bless you. Ah. <coughs> Now, mention the next sentence. You should stay away from it. But if you're doubtful, you being in doubt doesn't make that thing, doesn't mean that now you have to go make a new wudu. Because you're doubtful if you broke it or not. You can say that. To be safe, I will go make a new wudu. But do I have to? That would be better. The man is in the salah and he hears a rumble. He hears some sound. So he just says, to be safe, I'm going to make a new wudu. That would be better. But does he have to do that? Is that a the answer will be no. Is that a qaida? That's a principle. That doubt. Certainty nullifies doubt. Hey, that nothing. That uh, doubt. Can't remove certainty. 
ever. That's a principle that the scholars derive from the Quran and the Sunnah. If you're doubtful, you can go and make a new wudu just to be safe. No problem. No problem. But did he have to do that? The answer is no. The proof that he didn't have to do that is because he's doubtful. He's doubtful. It doesn't mean that if he's doubtful, he has to go do it. No, it's not like that. The man, we have a bottle of water, a bucket of water, and then the cat, it looks like the cat urinated in the water. It looks like it. I'm doubtful, did the cat, did he pee in the water or beside the water? And you don't know it's certainty. <laughs> what our sister's saying is correct. You may say, I'm not using that water out of safety, out of a precaution. No problem, no problem. But can you use that water? Yes. Being safe is one thing. Being allowed to do it is something else. Right? Two different things. You can go and be safe. I'm not going to use that water, mashallah. I'm going to go across the street to the QT. I'm going to buy some dollar store waters, and I'm going to make wudu from that water. Alhamdulillah. But someone else comes and says, hey, there's no proof that the, the, the cat urinated in that water. I'm going to use it. No problem. That's the principle. If you have doubt, not if you don't know, if you're doubtful, you're doubtful. Remember, doubtful is different, Ikhwan. If you're doubtful, did I just make, did I just pass my, uh, did I just break wind? Is there any proof that I break wind, that I broke wind? I'm doubtful. I don't have no proof that I did it. We heard a sound. Somebody broke, broke wind. It was one of us. No problem. But the person, if he has some doubt, it was gas. He doesn't have to make a new wudu. To be safe, I heard something, I'm going to get up and I'm going to make a new wudu, as our sister is saying, and she's correct, to be safe. No problem. Do I have to do that? No. You don't have to do that. The issue of covering the face. A sister may say, hey, there's no proof, no explicit proof to cover your face. But to be safe, I'm going to cover my face. Same principle. The brother. He says, there's nothing explicit I have to cover my head, but it's better to cover my head, I'm going to cover my To do what's better, nothing wrong, alhamdulillah, that's a principle. Do what's better, do what's safe, for example. So, the point here, you're not binding to do that. If you want to remain, I don't have no proof that it was my boom boom. It, it sounds like it was my stomach. Oh yeah. Remain in your salah. If you're not doubtful, you know for surety that was not your stomach, that was your boom boom. Now you broke your wudu. You have to go make wudu. Two different principles. One, you have knowledge with certainty. One, you're doubtful. If Ramadan is, is here and the person is doubtful, did the sun set or not? He's doubtful. He's looking, not like many of us. He doesn't depend on these apps. No, he goes outside and looks. But he's doubtful. It looks like the sun is set. I'm doubtful. He breaks his wudu. Uh, he, he, he breaks his, his fast. And then he realizes 20 minutes later, the sun is still up. The strongest opinion is that he's still fasting. He's still fasting. Because he didn't break his wudu, or he didn't break his fast upon certainty. He was doubtful in that regard. Although some scholars say he has to make that day up. The strongest opinion is that what? He doesn't have to make that day up. You call it then, Sheikh Abdullah? May Allah bless you. May Allah bless you all, That's a good question from our sister. May Allah raise her and her family and all of you, Yaqwa.